Howdy. Everybody having a good Wednesday? Just in case I get carried away. <laughs> I wanted to come to you tonight, talk to you on, uh, pick up where I left off right at Christmas, talk about authority, really, because I want to see every believer win in the realm of authority. Um, probably some of the greatest transformations that ever happened in me came in this realm. Uh, just give you a little insight of what I'm drawn to. <clears throat> I like three of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that really draw me are faith, healing, and miracles. I've gone back and done a complete study from the late 1800s into the 1950s, was very fascinated by John Alexander Dowie that came over from, really from Australia. He actually was over in the England and came to Australia, then came through San Francisco and up, and then ended up in Chicago. Three major men came through his ministry, which John G. Lake, F.F. and B.B. Uh, Bosworth. Those men fascinate me. And then you see guys like, uh, guys and gals, like Amy Simple McPherson. Uh, you see Marietta Woodworth. You see A.A. Uh, A. Allen, William Brannan, all of these guys that came through that did incredible things that we don't see today. And I don't know what that does to you, but it bothers me. So I was going to come tonight to talk to you about the authority and how we operate in some of this authority and how we can get liberty and what we, and, and freedom and, and, and get what, I just want Jesus to get what he paid for. Anybody else want that? You know, he ought to just get what he paid for. And, you know, we seem to stand in the way of that. So Sunday morning, I came in, and as the worship team was worshiping, I just stood in the back, and, and the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to talk on any of that. I said, great, what are we going to talk on? Because <laughs> I'd already told Mike and the team, we're going to talk about authority, and we're going to go down and told Torrance, you know, Torrance, we're going to go down the authority, and, you know, I got Torrance getting ready to prepare a message, and, uh, you know, he's, he's going to come speak on Wednesday nights, and the Holy Spirit says, I've I, I got a couple of questions for you. I said, okay, what are they? He goes, one, what differentiates what you're doing here tonight than what any other church is doing around the country on Wednesday night? So that's a really good question. What differentiates what we do here and what they do at country clubs? I want to be a part of something. That God can demonstrate himself in any way he wants and has a liberty to do so. I've almost quit church because I couldn't find a place that would allow him to be him. And I don't want to play church. The moment I met J.R., I knew, here's a man who paid a price. 
plowed a field that most men, God sat in his chair, most men will not pay. And he knows when he met me, I was still pretty bruised. I long to come to a place where God can be God. The Holy Spirit can do what he wants to do. And we not say no. I've Heismaned him so many times. Yes, but I don't want to Heisman him anymore. I, when we were talking in, this, in the staff this past week about what awaken is and kicking it back off tonight and, and, and what it would be, and uh, there are three things that we really just, if, if you wanted to tag it, it would be in, encounters and equipping to transform. Encounters and equipping to transform. If there's not transformation attached to it, why are we doing it? But I look, and I don't see the church at large wanting God encounters. Or if they do, they want to be able to manipulate and control them to keep them in check. If I hear this term one more time, I may just throw up. Well, I want God encounters, but we don't want the wacky and the weird. I got to ask you what your definition of wacky and weird is. This is what I hear from those who say it. Well, it's things I don't understand. That's wacky and weird. It's things I haven't experienced. That's wacky and weird. Well, I got a revelation this week I've never heard before. Do you realize the 120 in the upper room, it was the first time Anybody had seen cloven tongues of fire? Aren't you glad they didn't call that wacky and weird? None of them had ever experienced it. It's the first time, according to Scripture, that I can see anybody got drunk in the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad they didn't call that wacky and weird and give him the Heisman? Aren't you glad they said, whatever you're after, whatever you want, bring it on? Here's the other thought I had this week that I, I'd never had. The Holy Spirit said to me, Jeff, do you realize I turned the kingdom of heaven on earth over to people who had less than three years' experience? I've hired somewhere between four and 500 people in my life for positions and jobs in different industries that I've worked in. I don't look for people with three years experience. He turned all of the kingdom of heaven over to 120 people who probably had an average of a year and a half. And we think we can't manifest the kingdom, why? because we're not experienced enough. So I've got two challenges for you tonight. I want to break that mentality that you have to be some kind of experience to do this. I've been saved 40 years. Whoopee. I want to see God in a way 
I've never been able to see him before. I've read about it. I salivate over it. I've gone to Wales, where the greatest revival ever hit the earth out of, out of, out of Wales. And, you know, 100, I was there 100 years, almost to the day of when that revival hit, and you couldn't find one shred, one little shred of what God had done in that country. A hundred years later. That's sad to me. Those people had no idea, no concept of the miracles and the things of his manifest presence. So when we talk about God encounters, what I want to I get you through tonight, I want to make a challenge to you, really two challenges. I, I want to challenge you in a way that we get over the fear that it's wacky and weird because that, it really tells the Holy Spirit, guess what, we really, don't, we really don't need you. If we can control it, we can put it in the boundaries, we really don't need you. But every person that I see in Scripture that has a God encounter, it radically transforms them. You take the woman at the well. I talked to the men on Saturday about the, women, the woman at the well. This is a girl I'm going to meet at the gate. She's going to be there when I, I get to the gate, I guarantee you. I don't know her name, but she's going to be there, and she's going to say, I'm going to say, I got questions for that girl. Because here's a girl who's been married five times, and now she's living with the sixth man, and she's got no friends because she comes to the well by herself. I mean, there's all kinds of signs that she got massive amounts of rejection. she got all kinds of things going on in her life that are just, they, they just look bad. She looked like she's lost her dream. You know, she, she just, she's just existing. And she meets Jesus, has one encounter with Jesus, and this girl brings the entire city to Jesus. Tell me God encounters aren't any good. That one's really good. Then you take what happened at Pentecost. I, you know, I don't know exactly how it all went down, but I, I, this is part of my challenge to you tonight. Is it possible for you to take yourself to that place and let the Holy Spirit begin to show you so that it takes the fear. I don't know why it is that we have fear of God doing something in our presence other than we can't control it or we don't understand it yet. They didn't understand anything that was coming other than Jesus said, go back and wait, and the Holy Spirit will come. That's the only command they had. But here's what I found. This is, this is, this is probably the hardest part. And after 20-plus years, he would tell you the exact same thing. The hardest part about church is getting anybody to unify <laughs> When you walk through that door, however many are in the room, and it doesn't matter to me because I'm not a nickel noses and numbers guy, but however many walk through that door, there's that many different opinions of what this ought to be. The 120 were in the upper room, and guess what? They went one accord, and that wasn't a Honda. That wasn't, we weren't talking a pre-Honda here. We were talking, they were in unity, and when unity came, guess what? God showed up in a way that they could not create. That's what excites me. I found out when you can get in unity with another person like your spouse, whoa, you realize what can happen? I said with a lot of broken couples. A lot of broken couples. And they can't figure out how do I unify. 
I'm just telling you, if on Wednesday night, one of the challenges I want to put before you, is it possible for us to get in a place that we go, it doesn't matter what it looks like, I just want what God has. If we could unify on that one topic, you know what he could do with the midst of 50, 75, 20, five people? He did it with 120. What could he do with us? What would happen to the city? Not only what would happen to us, but what would happen to the city? Do you realize 3,000 people came and gave their heart to Jesus on the day of Pentecost? Why? Because of what the 120 did? No. Because what God did. Whatever, however noisy it was, whatever it was, it, it drew the city. When's the last time you see a city drawn to a church? Is it okay to talk to you like this? When's the last time you saw a city drawn to a church? Well, it happened in Wales. It happened in L.A. You see some really interesting things with Catherine Coleman. I mean, you see, you see some different things through history and time. I just wonder what keeps it from happening today. Does anybody else ever wonder? Ever wonder that question? I mean, I know we're not second-class citizens. I know we're not. It's not that God doesn't want to do it. How do we get in a place that you can actually house it? The church that I pastored several years ago had had two massive moves of God. A friend of mine preached one Sunday night at the church prior to us getting there. We, uh, we created a friendship afterwards, and it was just great hearing the stories. But uh, it's a little country church. It was a little Baptist church out in the country, and uh, they were beginning to experience some, some revival and some things that God was doing. And he showed up, and the pastor asked him to preach that night. And so he did. He was, he was walking down front, and he was sharing. He turned with his left hand to make a point to this section. The entire section hit the floor. It shocked him, too. You know what that one God encounter did? It hacked off a lot of people. There was a man sitting on the front row who had a bad back. And, of course, his chair went tumbling just like everybody else's. It would be really fun to watch this happen in this place with all these bolted down. I think that would be. But he gets up and he doesn't even realize he's been healed. And he's hacked off. So the pastor friend of mine, I mean, this pastor had pastored, similar to what you've done, JR, he pastored about 30 years. So when I came into a relationship with him, I had made him tell me every story. And uh, he goes, you know, Jeff, uh, after everybody fell, and, we, you know, you can imagine it cre kind of created a little chaos in the church. And uh, <laughs> he said, uh, I prepared a sermon the next week that God has called us to stand, not fall. He said, I preached it. And I was like, really, how'd that work out for you? He goes, well, it was interesting. You'd have to know Jesse to to get the full effect of the story, but he, uh, he, he says the next week after preaching that sermon, he went to the Baptist Seminary in Dallas. He said really in Fort Worth and the Southwestern Seminary. They'd asked him to speak to some of the pastors. <laughs> and 
he said, they called me up, they introduced me, and I stood up, put my, put my Bible up, and I was ready to speak, and I fell. He said, I'm not kidding. I laid there 20 minutes, and nobody checked on me. <laughs> While I'm laying there, he said, this is what I heard from the Holy Spirit. Don't you ever go against what I'm doing. I will embarrass you. <laughs> from that moment on, they had six months of every night of the week, and they saw radical transformations, healings. Some of the unusual stories that came out of it, one of the women came down front to get ministered to, and she froze in spots. She was just frozen. Well, the service is over. She's still standing here. It's midnight. She's still standing here. They locked her in the church. They came back the next morning, right there. And you say, what was the fruit of all that? Many, many, many hearts changed, transformed. Now, they did have one weird woman. If you want to talk wacky and weird, we can talk that for a minute. They did have one weird woman who would come through the door like this back door, and she'd immediately fall and make everybody step over now, that's wacky and weird. There's no good fruit out of that mover. <laughs> what I'm talking about is where are the authentic things that God wants to do, and where are we as a people that would say yes or no to that? Aren't you glad the 120 in the upper room said yes? Do you realize what they saw after that? So here's the first challenge to you tonight. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I shared this with the men on Saturday, and the Holy Spirit just quickened back, and I'm going to share half of it of what I shared with them. But I want you to see something that I think the enemy, I just not I think, I know. Especially when you start talking about the supernatural and the things that God wants to do in our midst, the things that he wants to do in our own lives, I'm not talking about just corporate things, but I'm talking about private things. I'm talking about things that happen at the house. God encounters. See, I don't want to live without God encounters. Why? I don't really want to be surprised when I see him. Hey, Dad, how you doing? Man, it was fun on the earth. That was just some good stuff. Other than, oh, we could have done that. Mm. Oh. Oh, that was part of the package? Oh, sorry about that. I find people, when, I'm, when I meet with them and, and try to minister life to them, I find a lot of people with issues. Anybody ever had issue? Okay. Some of those issues turn into strongholds, and those strongholds can't ever seem to get broken. And they seem to be reoccurring patterns. Anybody ever had a, besides me, I'm, my hands up, anybody ever have a reoccurring pattern called a stronghold? Seems like you just can't get rid of it, and it just, it just keeps coming back. And I'm going to show you how a stronghold works, and then I'm going to flip it on you, and then I'm going to give you the challenge out of this. But I have to lay it from this standpoint. Look at 
2 uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He says, for the weapons of our warfare, Paul's talking about how are we going to win. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for doing what? So what is a stronghold? Is it destructive or is it positive? It's always destructive. It, it knocks you down. You ever notice how Satan tempts you and then slaps you for doing it? So it's on both ends. So come do it. Whack, what a stupid idiot you are. Okay? What he's after is he wants to get a stronghold in your life. And what I told the men on Saturday was the reason he wants to do this is because he has no recourse against God. He can't go back into the heavens and slap God around and take over. The only recourse he has against God is you and me. And if he can trip us up, he can all, you know, this is the only way he can get back at God to go, you know, I know my day's reserved, I'm going to the pit, I'm no go, but I'm going to take as many people with me as possible, and I'm going to mess up the lives of those you're trying to transform just to get back. That's all he's got is deception. Watch how it happens. Look at verse 5. Casting down arguments, if you have the King James Version, that says imaginations. Okay, that's what we'll talk about in just a second. And every high thing that exalts itself against God or the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now watch. How do you get a stronghold? You just said it. You see the order? Starts with a thought. That thought's always against the knowledge of God. That thought goes into what it says here, arguments, but that real word is imagination. So in any thought that is against the will of God or against the knowledge of God goes into your imagination, and your imagination allows that thought to penetrate and imagine it and participate, and I'm now acting in it, then that moves into a... Uh-huh. So how do you get rid of a stronghold? You take the truth, and then you allow the truth that does exalt God go into your imagination. Let me just show you how this is happening. Guys, this is why pornography is really powerful, because it gives you a picture of an imagination, and it allows you to embrace your emotions to it. And when your emotions get involved, your soul, body, soul, and spirit, remember that part? Your soulish mind, will, emotions, once they're effect, once they're, in, once they're in together, guess what happens? It now becomes a part of your soul, and then the enemy continues, takes one place, and he keeps moving you to do more. And that's where he makes a hook. So how do you get rid of it? You take a God thought that counteracts the, the lie that he's spoken, and you give it a shot of the truth, and you allow the truth to go into your imagination, and from your imagination, guess what happens? It begins to wrap your emotions around that. It snaps it. Truth always sets free. But do you ever realize as Christians, and this is my challenge to you, you realize as Christians we never do this on the positive side to create weapons to formulate strategies against the enemy. We realize how it works in the destructive side, but we don't realize how it works on the positive side. I told the men on Saturday, I've got a friend that began to imagine there's nine places in the New Testament that where somebody's raised from the dead. He began to imagine 
eight of the nine because he didn't count Jesus' resurrection. He went to those places in his imagination, and he began to formulate and let that, uh, that thought as he stood there with Jesus while he called Lazarus out, he let his imagination. But you see, this is what the church has said about imagination. Don't go there. Why? Because that's what Eastern religion does. Right? So it can't be godly. Can I ask you a question? Who created imagination? <laughs> it's a powerful tool. That's why the enemy knows it. When he whispered to Eve in the garden, what was he make, why was he making the suggestion? So that she would ponder it. So that she would imagine it. I'm sure she went over to the fruit. And, <sighs> Smells good. Feels good. What was he doing? The power of suggestion. As she got that rolling around, guess what? She took it. Did he manipulate her or coerce her to do it? Or did he just suggest? I guarantee you, uh, eh, I, I'm going to say it this way. Every stronghold started with a thought. But is it possible that we're missing encounters because we refuse to allow our imagination to go places that we have never been before? I challenge you tonight to let your imagination go to the upper room with the 120. Hey, how y'all doing? Hey, hey. John. Peter. Shh, Peter. <laughs> Thomas, did you touch his hand? Did you believe? Huh? And you can take yourself there, and all of a sudden, you're imagining, you start to hear the wind. Would we be more open to God encounters if we could put ourselves in places that have already happened? Where God showed up and did miraculous things. When's the last time you allowed your imagination to even take the thought? of somebody in Scripture. The reason I'm so drawn to the woman at the well is because God used her in a God encounter with me. I'm really partial to this girl. But she helped set me free. He's one of the women of the Bible I will never forget. It was such a powerful God encounter with her. I can't wait to hear the other side of the story. I got a little Paul Harvey in me. I want to know the rest of the story. Then say after the whole city came. I want to know what happened to that old girl from the moment she gave her life to Jesus, what the rest of her life looked like. Fascinates me. But I got a good imagination. I challenge you tonight, number one is, Will you allow your imagination to go to places that people who encountered God for the first time, that you could encounter God the same way? And from that moment, it's not, I've only, you know, I've only done this for a year. I've only been in, forget all that. It's not a prerequisite of how many years you've done it. Do you realize the demoniac? I mean, take yourself to the demoniac situation for one moment. Here's a man who is messed up. He meets Jesus in one God encounter. 
He's clothed in his right mind, and he says to Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to stay, and I want you to go tell the entire region what great things I've done for you. In church today, we would counsel him for 15 years before we let him pick up trash in the parking lot. Jesus left him in charge of an entire region. One God encounter took all the years of counseling away. This is why we must embrace God encounters. It radically transforms situations today. People remember God encounters. They won't remember what was said tonight, tomorrow. What was preached on Sunday? Just going to prove a point. Anybody know what was preached on Sunday? Can you tell him everything he said? <laughs> it's not an offense to us. We're, heck, we're beyond it. We're, you know, we, we've done it. It's, it's just not an offense to us, is it, brother? As long as you remember the story, though. Here's what you won't ever forget. You'll never forget a God encounter when he shows up to you. When Jesus came back, it doesn't look like a very successful missionary journey. He goes over one weird man, gets transformed. He's clothed in his right mind. They tell him to get out of the city. A bunch of swine run down a hill, and they get back in the boat after a long journey over. That was harsh. And they go back, and they go, you know, if we're going to measure success by our missionary journey, this was not very successful. One convert, we're not even sure about him, and a bunch of swine drowned, and we got ran out and we almost drowned. Not a really good trip. But when Jesus comes back to that region, what happened? One man brings the entire region to Jesus. He had a real short, sweet, simple testimony. Hi, yes, I'm the guy that ate your dog, but I'm now clothed in a right mind. Sorry about your cat, didn't mean to. I was just hungry. You got a weird testimony, but it works. How'd that happen? One God encounter. The problem with God encounters is that we don't know how to judge them. First off, we're afraid to allow our imagination to go to them because we don't want to be associated with the wacky and weird and the things that we can't control, so we continually, I'm not sure about that. We have entire denominations writing doctrines over why you can't do it today. I mean, I'm in the Baptist church, and I, you know, I get saved. I'm in the Methodist church, didn't get saved. The Methodist church got saved because a Baptist youth pastor led me to the Lord. I'm in the Methodist church, I go to the Baptist church because I think they have more life in the Methodist church. And while I'm in the Baptist church, scales fall off my eyes. I start reading the rest of the Bible. So I go to my Baptist pastor and I say, what about these verses? Let's read Mark 16 today. I'm going to talk to you about Mark 16. I want you to tell me. He said, they're not for today. Oh, okay. They're not for today. All right. What do you want me to do with them? I said, you want me to cut them out? Just no, you don't have to be that dramatic. Just don't read them. 
I said, okay, well, that's weird, okay. I said, well, let's, let's go over and let's talk about tongues and interpretations of tongues. You ever wonder why tongues and interpretation of the tongues is not in the church anymore? See, I can talk about this. Why are we saying to the Holy Spirit in this area? Mm. So I asked him about tongues. He said to me, Jeff, I asked God for tongues. He didn't give them to me, so I know they're not for today. All of history changed on you? Isn't this amazing? Shocking. Wow. I said, I think I'm going to leave. He goes, if you leave, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm warning you right now, the moment you walk out and you resign this position, your ministry is over. I guarantee it. Sounds like love, doesn't it? I recognize the voice very, very quickly. Anytime that intimidation and manipulation and control are involved, I know who's behind it because I've seen his DNA and his thumbprint. I know who he is. And I was like, ooh, you're looking ugly today. And I said to him, you're exactly right. My ministry is over. Now his starts. That's where the journey began for Jenny and I. That's when Jenny looked at me, little Baptist girl her whole life, knew nothing about the things of the Spirit, looked at me and said, who are you? I said, I don't know. She said, where are you going? I said, I have no idea. She kept looking at me. She goes, I'm going to go with you. I said, why? She says, because you've never loved me like you're loving me right now. Wherever it is, it's better than where we've been. I don't know the unknown beyond here, but I'm guarantee you this. It's better than this place. And we started the journey. She. <laughs> I thought that was her back there. Um, <laughs> she started hearing the voice of God. She never has a little Baptist girl ever been taught. You could hear the voice of God. You know why? Because the Baptist church, they teach you. And I'm not, I'm not mad at the Baptist. I love the Baptist people. They teach you that God doesn't speak any longer unless you're a pastor and it's only in the call. I said, well, isn't that sweet? He saves us to leave us all by ourselves. Hmm. My son calls me all the time and asks for advice, and I don't go, you know, I don't get to talk to you anymore. You're on your own. That's not what daddies do. When we discovered that we could hear the voice of God again, it was like, OMG! But you realize the church today has allowed a few things back. They've allowed prophecy to come back. We enjoy that. They allowed laying on the hands, and you see that. You see free, more freedom in worship. You know, in some churches, they're still singing out the hymnal. Now, in those churches, they're projecting things up on. So things are progressing. My question is, where do you get to the place where you go, let's unleash it all? How do you get to that place? I promise you it's in the challenge of the imagination. Could you ever take yourself to the, to the rooftop where Peter got the vision about the Gentiles? Could you ever imagine you having one of those visions where the Father began to show you some things that were specific to you? Not only for you, but that you might be able to give it to somebody else. 
You realize with the message that he received, he went to Cornelius' house, and the entire house of Cornelius got changed because they had been with an angel. Have you ever gone to Cornelius' house and let your imagination run for a second that an angel will pop up? Man, would that be fun? But we all just kind of got to the place that it's okay that none of that stuff happens and we're just going to live life and we're going to attend church and we're going to have a nice little life. And then, you know, if somebody gives a prophetic word, that's really good, that's good for them. It's just not what I'm going to do. You ever notice that? It's called a subtle suggestion that we don't get to play. When I read the word, everybody got to play. Everybody's called. Nobody rides the pine. Nobody sits the bench. Everybody gets to get in the game. It's not JR gets to do everything. He gets to encourage you to come up and do it yourself. But you won't do it if you can't. Here's my, here's my first challenge. You won't do it if you can't conceive the thought and if you can't allow your imagination to participate in it. You will never, ever, ever participate. But here's my challenge. You've got to allow your imagination to go to these places. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to cause the Word to come to alive to you in the place that these people are transformed. You've got to begin to ask questions about the woman at the well. What is it that's holding her back? What is it that she's looking for? When the, when the Holy Spirit brought this woman to me, he asked me one question. He said, Jeff, what does this woman want? So I don't know. So well, think. I said, well, if I had to say it, I think she wants to be happy. He goes, bingo, what do you think she thinks will make her happy? Well, that's obvious. She thinks there's a man out there. She's tried five in marriage. She's now living with the six. She's going to find that sap sucker somewhere. And she did at a well. It was just different than any man she'd ever met. And he used the gifts of the Holy Spirit to get her attention. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but that was Jesus. If you allow him to encounter you, he'll use you no matter how long you've been saved. You don't believe me? Look at Luke 10. You don't have to turn there right now. Luke 10 talks about 70 baby little Christians. Barely born again, barely, barely believed in Jesus. He sends those 70 babies out by two, and they come back with the most miraculous stories you've ever heard about. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Is it possible when we come to awaken, awaken, that we actually get awoke? Wouldn't that be great? It starts with your own hunger. Would it be okay to say to Jesus, I really want my imagination to come alive. I'm sorry I bought the dumb lie that imagination wasn't a part of walking with you. That's challenge number one. If you can actually conceive a thought and allow it to go into your emotions and your imagination and actually conceive the idea that you could have the same experience that they had in the upper room and not give the Heisman or the woman at the well or Peter on the rooftop or a hundred other stories I could tell you. If you can conceive the idea that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to do that in you, Katie, bar the door. Something's about to change in your life. Amen? Challenge number two. 
Would it be okay if we stopped judging others' encounters? And stop saying what is and not what is God and what is not God based on our own preference, based on our own experience, based on our own understanding. Several years ago, when I was pastoring, I had a friend of mine come out and speak at my church. And he was from the mother church. You know, when you leave the mother church, you're supposed to go act like the mother church taught you. Well, I didn't. Because I didn't like what the mother church was doing. I thought God had some other ideas. And he came out, and he, we're, we're standing on stage, and he says to me, he's, he's going to go speak for me that morning. He looked at me, and he said, what are you doing out here? And I looked back at him, and I said, what do you think I'm doing out here? He looked back, and he goes, I have no idea. I've looked at it, and I can't figure it out. I said, well, you're prophetic. Why don't you just ask God? One moment. He pulled away to himself, and he looked over me. He says, I get it. I said, what is it that you get? He goes, you want to be a part of a nameless, faceless place that glorifies Jesus. I said, bingo. You know why I was drawn to the rock? Because this man doesn't give one rip about his name being on anything. He wants the exact same problem that we have is that we judge others' encounters based on our own preferences. That same pastor told me, he looked at me one day, and he goes, you're just nothing but hype and show. I said, well, it's better than being dead. Whatever hype and show is, just call me that all you want. I don't care. I want to be a part of something alive. And if all we're going to go is through the motions, count me out. So how do you not judge? Anybody remember the uh, story out of Acts chapter 3 where the lame man's at the gate? Peter and John come. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to thee. You remember how that man reacted when he got encountered by Jesus? The power of the Holy Spirit came on him. He instantly got healed. Remember how he acted? He started jumping up and down, screaming, shouting, leaping, jumping, hopping. Whacking weird, right? Mm. Remember the ten lepers? Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. On their way, they get healed. One that's a Samaritan turns and realizes he healed. He runs back to Jesus. It's in John chapter 18. And he falls at Jesus' feet. Says he gave a loud shout first, but he falls at Jesus' feet. One's showing reverence and the other is leaping. What is the, which one is the appropriate reaction for an encounter with God? But people who don't like shouting, leaping, huh? that's all flesh. That right there is all flesh. That's all flesh. Those who love jumping, leaping, going, man, that's the glory of God. Those who love the bowing and the reverence go, now that's the appropriate response to how a God encounter. You bow in reverence and shh, you don't talk in church. 
shh, don't tell Ray that, because Ray has a party every year running around the sanctuary here, because she had a God encounter that radically transformed her life forever. And if you'd been in her shoes, you'd run around this building too on that very birthday every day. Why? Because she'll never forget the moment she got an encounter. Is it better on this side or the other side, Ray? Would you want to go back? Oh, no. Oh, no. When my wife got rid of migraine headaches, she jumped down, up and down on the bed and started screaming and shouting to the top of her lungs, OMG is gone! She thought that was an appropriate response. Why is it that we have preferences of way people react to what God does. Can I just challenge you tonight? Two things. One, allow yourself to go there. Two, stop judging God encounters for others. When the scales fell off, we started going to a different church. And the first time I showed up at this church, they had incredible worship. I'm standing in the balcony because I'm, I'm still checking it out. But I'm standing in the balcony, and I mean, the entire first floor looks like a wave. Everybody's jumping and dancing. And I'm standing up in the balcony, and I go, that's flesh. That's flesh. Guarantee you, that's flesh. And that, I couldn't hear, I didn't hear, I didn't sing one song, and I didn't hear anything about the sermon. But I was there. On my way out to the car, I heard the Holy Spirit say, that's amazing. I said, what? He said, your ability to read people's hearts. I knew this was not going to be a good conversation. <laughs> I said, uh, he said, Jeff, you have no idea what's going on in their hearts, so why are you pretending that you do? Son, this is not why I caused the scales to fall off your eyes. I call the scales to fall off your eyes so you could be liberated and be free. There's bondage in your heart. I want that out. I said, I'm so sorry. The church was two hours from our house. The next Sunday we drove back, I joined them. My legs were so sore the next day I couldn't move. But I love, I, I, I didn't care if anybody was in their flesh. This is, all looks good to me, baby. You just go for it. And it liberated me for the first time to worship him uninhibited. Is it possible for us to stop looking for what we prefer and enjoy and rejoice with those who are having an encounter? Here's my challenge to you tonight. When we come to awaken, could we allow him to do anything he wants? All we have to say is yes. I'm here. Anything you want, I'm free. Go for it. Even if I don't understand it, even if I've not experienced it, even if I've never seen it, You know how you judge what God's doing? You look at the fruit. You know how the Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved. That's pretty good fruit. 
when the lame man is healed and he's leaping and jumping and shouting and going up and down the aisles screaming, 5,000 are saved. That's pretty good fruit. If you see people being liberated and set free and enjoying life of what Jesus has already purchased, that's good fruit. You see a woman laying at the door at the back, drag her to the side. There's no fruit in that. Nothing. Okay, you could say, maybe it has the power to show God's here and people fall. Well, some people even question, does, why do people fall? Have you not seen it in Scripture? Do you remember when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden? And they said, he said, who are you looking to? What are you looking for? Who is it? He goes, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. Boom. The entire garrison hits the ground. See John when he goes out to right at the island of Patmos and Jesus shows up? Wouldn't it be great to allow your imagination to go to the island? Hmm. That'd be a fun trip. Here's what I'm trying to say, folks. Will you take your mind off of it and let the Holy Spirit begin to take you on a journey where he wants to go, and we stop this, and we stop this. Awaken is what it's for. Okay? All right? Okay. That's the heart behind it. Folks that are hungry, folks that want more, folks that want to see things that they've not been able to see before, participate in things they've not been able to participate for, this is the perfect time. We have a unique opportunity to create something so fantastic that the city may want to come. They might just want to come. Stand. I'm going to ask you just in your own words before your relationship with the Father. Express your desire, what you're looking for, what you're wanting. If he shows you areas where you've been resisting, just drop your hand and say, I don't want to resist anymore. I want to receive. I want you. Just take a moment and just be honest with him for a minute. I'm scared of some things. I'm scared of tongues. I'm scared of this. I'm, this has some fear attached to it or whatever it is. I don't know. I have my own. Asking this question, what do you want to say to me now that you've never been able to say to me before? What do you want to say to me right now that you've not been able to say to me before?
Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you tonight. We receive your ministry. We receive your message from the Father. We ask that you move upon us in dreams, in visions, and visitations. We want to look like the original church. Come amongst us. Come out of us. We don't want to imprison you. We want you to be free and liberated from us. Anoint us afresh and anew. Just as you did the disciples out of the 120 in the upper room, they were refilled constantly. I ask that you refill us. Revisit us. For some of us being filled for the first time. But we want the ministry you provide. We ask that there be no barrier. That when we come, we meet, we, we, we encounter, we get equipped, but more than anything else, we transform in your presence. give you permission to live, to live, to live, in Jesus' name.